Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Hey, the Vine Church. It's great to be with you again this morning, preaching God's Word. We trust you well. We're praying for you. We're in this with you together here at Vintage. And we're so glad that we're not alone as churches in this season but we're together we're praying for each other we're here for each other and our love is for you and Michael and the whole team but blessings and it's a great honor to preach with you this morning well we're going to look at God's word together now we're going to go to a passage in Genesis chapter 18 we've looked at it a bit over the last few weeks but I really feel God is calling us to look at it again and to really see what he's speaking to us as a community at this time. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Genesis chapter 18, and we're going to begin in verse 17. And if you know the context here, there is a city called Sodom and Gomorrah that is overwhelmed with injustice, with evil, with abuse, and the people are abusing each other, And there's an outcry of justice against these cities. And we pick up the story in God's response and Abraham's response to what is going on in those cities. Genesis 18, beginning in verse 17. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their their sin is so grievous. I want to go down and see what they've done and see if it's so bad as the outcry has reached me. If not, I will then know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from me, far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of the earth do what is right? The Lord said to Abraham, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again, and said, Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, well, for the sake of 40, I won't do it. Then Abraham said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? God answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? And God said, for the sake of 20, I won't destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, 
he left and Abraham returned home. Let's pray just before we dig into this together. So, Father, I thank you for this passage. I pray wherever we are, you'd open our hearts, you'd open our minds to your truth. So come, Holy Spirit, and speak to us. We just open up our hearts now. We fix our our thoughts, our minds, our hearts on you, and we invite you to transform us and to change us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This is an incredible passage. We've looked at it a few times already. But this really is the first extended prayer in the whole Bible. And there's so much we can learn from it as a prayer, but it's more than just a prayer. When you dig into it, you realize Abraham is not just praying, he's priesting. He's carrying out his functions as a priest. You see, as Christians, we are called into adoption into God's family. We are sons and daughters in his family. And we are given roles and functions and gifts. And one of the titles that God gives to us as children is what Abraham is stepping into right now. And what the Bible says we all are to step into, which is this, that we are priests in the kingdom of God. You have a priestly function over your life. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. See, so often we think of a priest as someone who is an ordained pastor of a church, maybe a certain denomination. They call their pastors priests. And in one sense, that, of course, is true. But in another sense... The Bible says we are all priests. As Martin Luther said in one of his books published in 1520, he said, baptism, not ordination, is the basis for all Christian ministry. And as a result, we are all consecrated priests through baptism. See, baptism is the initiation into the family of God. And when you come into the family of God, you are immediately consecrated with the ministry of priesthood. And so like Abraham, we have been given the blessing and the privilege and responsibility wherever we find ourselves, whatever season we find ourselves in, to step into a priestly ministry. So the question we have this morning is, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a priest in God's family? It's a very strange word, isn't it? It could be seen in a negative connotation. It could be seen as a strange, or I remember Judas Priest, the heavy metal band that was formed not far from where I lived in England. And priest is used in so so many different ways. But we're going to look this morning at how God uses the word priest and how he calls you into a special ministry of priesthood, which there's nothing more important in this season than for you to grab hold of. This is what my function is. This is what my calling is as a priest in the kingdom of God. So we're going to answer two questions. The first is this. What is our priestly vocation? What does it mean to be a priest? What is our priestly vocation? And secondly, how do we do it? How do we do it? So the first question is, what is our priestly vocation? Well, what we see here is Abraham stepping in beyond prayer to priesting. This is not just intercession on behalf of Sodom. It's a priestly intercession. As we know, Sodom and Gomorrah 
had a culture of evil, of abuse, of injustice, of being inhumane, of racism and violence. In Ezekiel 16, we see the, how God felt about Sodom. It says, she and her daughters were arrogant, overfed and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did, did, uh, did detestable things before God. And because of all this evil and abuse and the atrocious behavior of these people, an outcry went out to God that someone must do something about this. The cries of the broken, the cries of the hurting, the cries of the abused. That these cries went up to God and in verse 20 we see that God's reaction is not indifference. God's reaction is not passive. God cares about the injustice in the world. He cares about the evils. He cares about all the problems we see in our society. He's not indifferent. It says he weeps with those who weep and he has anger towards injustice in the world. And so God is going to do something about it because he's a God of love and judgment. Many people try and put those things opposite together, right? They see they don't see them as compatible, but of course, Holy judgment is a dimension of God's holy love. If you just turn a blind eye to injustice, if you turn a blind eye to evil and trafficking and racism, if you turn a blind eye to these things, then you're not loving. Love means you intervene when your loved ones are being abused, when your loved ones are suffering. And it's into this context that Abraham approaches God at the invitation of God he approaches God to pray and to intercede but to more than that to step into his function as a priest but what do I mean by that what do I mean by Abraham wasn't just praying but he was priesting in verse 22 it says this Abraham remained standing before the Lord but then Abraham approached God and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? So Abraham's standing before God and then approaches him. And that's quite confusing, isn't it? Because if he's standing right before God, why is he approaching him? It's like, dude, personal space, what's going on here? You know, you're right here. Until you understand that the word approach isn't necessarily a geographical word, it's a legal word. In the Hebrew, the word approach is to, almost like in a court of law, to approach the bench. To approach the bench and to offer an argument. To plead the case on behalf of someone else. That Abraham was stepping into his priestly function to represent the city of Sodom and to come before God and to plead for mercy. To plead on behalf of someone else for the mercy of God. This is what it means to be a priest, to step into the gap between humanity and God, between earth and heaven, and be the means, the channel by which the two connect. Abraham steps in and says, I'm going to represent this city before God. And we are called as priests in the kingdom of God to step in the gap and be the means of heaven touching earth. To be the means of all God's riches and blessings and salvation and healing and mercy to come and impact society. But also to, to come and bring society to God and plead on its behalf and to intercede on its behalf. God has chosen priests, his people, you and me, to be 
the bridge where heaven and earth can meet. That we bring earth to heaven and we bring heaven down to earth. This is, of course, rooted, this great bridge ministry, this ministry of the gap, this ministry of reconciliation of heaven and earth, is rooted in the original commission that Abraham had in Genesis chapter 12. It says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. This through you is the ministry of priesthood. That God has decided that the means of his love and his grace and renewal and his healing and his salvation and his justice is not going to come despite and around his people, but it's going to come through his people. This is the ministry of priesthood. As a priest, Abraham steps into the gap before God and says, God, I'm coming on behalf of this city to plead for mercy. Theologian and Bishop Graham Tomlin, and a great friend of vintage he's taught here before, has an incredible book called The Widening Circle. And the tagline there and the subtitle is Priesthood as God's Way of Blessing the World. Priesthood as God's Way of Blessing the World. And Bishop Graham shows throughout all of that book how God's blessings always come when he chooses someone from the whole to bless the whole. That he goes, Abraham, I'm going I'm to choose you, not out of merit. I'm just going to choose you because I want you to do something for me. I want you to be blessed in order to bless those you've come from. That you and I have been chosen by God to step into a function, to represent him and to be the means of his blessing to those around us. It's the privilege of service. It's the privilege of ministering to others. This is why you were chosen by God, is to be the carriers of his good news and also the carriers of those who don't know him back to God. You see, we see this very clearly, don't we, in Abraham's prayer. Because look, he's not praying for himself. In verse 24, he pleads for the city. I don't know about you, but if I had family like Abraham did in Sodom, I'd be praying for my family only. I'd be going, you know, judge those guys and save my family, save my nephew, get them out, God. But Abraham knows that he has a priestly function to bring God's blessing and salvation and mercy and forgiveness and healing to the whole world. You see, our ministry your ministry, my ministry, wherever we are, is to be placed in a part of the world where we bring heaven into that environment. Where we connect the two, where we are the bridge. Bishop Graham writes this, he says, the church stands between God and humanity in Christ, representing each to the other, holding the world before God in prayer, continually offering up a broken and hurting humanity for God's action so that it might become again the means of divine blessing to the rest of creation. We stand in this ministry of bringing and connecting heaven to earth. Not because of merit, but because God has chosen you because of grace and love to be his means of blessing to those around you. Abraham saw the outcry of Sodom and responded as a priest. 
I wonder what the outcry is that you hear around you, that God has opened your ears to a particular outcry in your family or in your neighborhood or in your work or in your city that you see, oh Lord, I've got to intervene here. I've got, you're calling me to be a priest, to enter into that situation, to bring your mercy, to bring your forgiveness, to bring your gospel of good news, that you have been placed in, in an environment where you hear a particular cry that only you hear. Because God wants you to enter into that brokenness. God wants you to enter into that pain, to be his priest. Many know that I have heard over and over and over again, and God's opened my ears to the cry of the lost in our city, the cry of those who don't know Jesus. That is the cry I hear every day of those who don't know Jesus, what the pain and the lostness must feel like, the darkness the hopelessness, particularly in a COVID-19 environment where no one seems to be in control and to be at the whim of all the circumstances and all those things around us. And my heart cries out for the lost and therefore God calls me as a priest to enter into that gap, to enter into that gap and do things like Alpha and do other things that, like Luke 15 says, I can go out like a shepherd and I can invite people in to connect with Jesus. They're not connecting with me, but I'm the priest to bring the two together. I think of our friends at Harvest Home, hearing the cry of homeless pregnant women, thinking, oh my word, Lord, we must, we must care for them. And you think of Sarah and she does such a great job that so we, we must do something. And in her priestly function, she, she's created these amazing homes to be a safe haven for these pregnant women experiencing homelessness to have a safe environment to give birth and to help them get then on their, their feet for the next season in life. I think of Ruth on our staff here, leading so amazingly at Love Your Neighbor campaign where she's gone out to the city of Santa Monica and around and heard the cry of the broken heard the cry of the hungry, heard the cry of those who are hurting through various of issues of abuse, etc. And so she's going, vintage, you must do something about this. And she's exercising her priestly function to connect us together, to bring the needs to God and for us to be the means of God's resources to others. I love our food. This is not just spiritual, right? This is practical, that we can be the means of God's financial resources, God's other resources of food and shelter. We are priests in the kingdom of God. God flows and connects his kingdom to earth through his people. I think of Roland and our prayer team and Jake who runs that. How exciting it is that they are praying for healing and seeing people healed. They're bringing, they're the means by which laying on of hands connects the sickness of the person to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and sees them healed. This is the priestly function of the kingdom of God, of you and me. To step into what Abraham did, to step into the gap and to bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven. So how do we do this? How do we do this? I'm getting a bit hot, forgive me. I'm getting a bit excited. But how do we do this? Well, I don't know about you, but I know I can't do this on my own strength. I know I can't just be told, well, go go and do it. Be like Abraham. Because I know I don't have the resources. What do I have to offer? And also, I'm not sure I have the empathy to enter into all the darkness and the brokenness that you're saying. So... 
How do we do this? And the answer, of course, is right here in the text. The answer is this strange negotiation that Abraham's having with God. This is a strange negotiation, it seems, but actually as you dig into it, you see this is the answer to everything. This is actually the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, this is pointing to Jesus himself. See, in verse 23, Abraham approaches God and affirms justice, affirms that actually the answer is not, God, for you to deny your justice. As a loving God, you are necessarily a God of justice to, sw- to, to deal with evil, not to sweep it under the carpet. But Abraham knows that God is also a God of mercy. And he goes on a journey in this negotiation to try and bring mercy and judgment together and not see them as one sacrificing the other. In verse 24, he says, will you spare, and that word spare means forgive, will you spare this place for just a few? You see, Abraham is tapping into a spiritual principle that we are not familiar with in a Western individualistic society. Abraham is tapping into a spiritual principle throughout all of Scripture that says, would you, would you spare this whole place for the sake of a few? Like, would, do you value the righteous of a few so much that it would cover the unrighteousness of the many? Could you spare and forgive the whole city for a righteous remnant? Because I know individually all these people deserve your judgment, but could it be that the righteousness of a few could be given, that they could fall under the righteousness of a few. See, Abraham is touching on this spiritual principle we see all through Scripture, and in many cultures around the world, less so in the Western society, where actions of others can be given, good behavior of others can be given, or even bad behaviors of others can be blamed on others. So your hyper-individualistic society of the West tries to reduce responsibility to our own individual actions. You can't blame me for what someone else has done. You can't blame me for the past. It's not me. You can't blame me for that. Because we are trapped in a rampant individualistic society. But God didn't create an individualistic society. He created a community of individuals, but a community of individuals. Where at times, what others do, we are caught up in. And we can benefit from others' behavior, and we can also be hampered or hindered by others' behavior. We don't see many examples of this in the West because we're so individualistic. There are a few, though. I think of the Olympics. I'm now American, and whenever America now has a gold medal, guess what? I've got a gold medal. It's amazing because you, know, you have all these individuals achieving something, but guess what? The table is America. 10,050 gold medals, and the next one is a long way down. You know, so there's a collective benefit. It's like that phrase that we used to say a lot in England. I don't know if you use it here, um, but, you know, to take one for the team. It's like, I'm going to do something unpleasant, and because I'm doing it, everyone else is going to reap the benefit of that. The best example I can think of is when I grew up in a school in England, and it was a a school kind of like Hogwarts, people say, because it had houses. Um, the school was divided. When you joined the school, you were placed in a house. Not a physical house, but a group, like a club. 
they were called houses. And in my school, there were four houses, Abney, Davis, Pulteney, and Yates. Now I was in the Pulteney house. And throughout the whole year, there'd be competitions between the houses. And sometimes you'd all do something, and sometimes one person would do something, a chess match between houses. Uh, I was on the water polo team, and we did water polo games. But the thing is, whenever anybody did anything and won a victory, the whole house benefited from that victory. It was a house win. It wasn't an individual win. And guess what? When a member of our house did something stupid and got in trouble, the whole house got in trouble. Because we were entering into, I think, what Abraham's touching here. There's a collective ownership. And Abraham, in his, high pu- in his priestly prayer, is tapping into this and says, how far will this collective responsibility go? Is this a way that God can value righteousness of a few so much that it will cover the whole group? It will cover the whole city. And he's thinking, I wonder how much we need to cover the whole city, maybe 50. And God says, yes. And to Abraham's amazement, is it's like it's working. <laughs> and so he goes, 40, 30. And he, he keeps, can't believe this is happening. But of course, he's discovering this is the principle of God's Disposition, his predisposition to mercy and love. In a great commentary by uh, Gerhard von Rad, he writes this, he says, What is amazing is how God's gracious righteousness dawns on Abraham and increases his courage as the dialogue goes on until he arrives at the astonishing fact that even a very small number of innocent people is more important in God's sight than a majority of sinners and is sufficient to stem the judgment. So predominant is God's will to save over his will to punish and to judge. Abraham gets down to 10. He can't believe it. But then something amazing happens because he stops. You're quite expecting him to go now, well, what about five? Well, and then even, what about one God? Could there be one person who's so righteous in this city that they could cover the unrighteousness over the city, that you would spare the whole city because of one righteous person? But Abraham doesn't go there. And most commenters believe that Abraham doesn't go there, not because he doesn't believe that's where it could go, but because actually we're getting to the place where Abraham's starting to realize, I don't think anyone can carry this righteousness sufficiently to cover the sins because like Abraham like me like you when we look inside of our hearts we go you know what I'm not that righteous you know if I if you put on a big video screen a jumbotron all my thoughts all my actions even just from yesterday you would go oh my word Gary is nowhere near righteous But I think we're all in the same boat. And Abraham's starting to realize that and go, this argument's working. This priestly argument's working. But it ain't going to work because I don't think there is one who is so righteous he can save the city. And of course, it ends in disappointment because though Abraham's family is saved, the city isn't. The question then hangs over the rest of the Old Testament. Could there be one? Could there be one who is so righteous that justice and mercy could meet in this person, that justice 
can be paid by this one person and righteousness of this one person is so sufficient that it could cover the whole of the city, the whole of the world. This question hangs over history until that day in Bethlehem when an angel appears and says to a young man and a young woman, pregnant, and says, you're about to give birth to a son, and his name is Jesus, because he, he will save his people from their sins. Not they're going to save themselves, but here is the righteous one who will save his people from their sins. See, in Jesus, the one has come. In Jesus, God has come in full righteousness to step into humanity, to be fully human, so that he can represent all of us, so that he can be the one of us and be the one we can't. But he can be fully righteous and die the death that we deserve, that judgment is served because he took it on himself. And lived the righteous life that we can't. And he gives that to us. See, it's in Jesus that mercy and judgment meet. Not one without the other. As it says in Corinthians, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the gospel. This is the great news that in Jesus we can be forgiven. He is judged on our behalf and we receive his victory and his righteousness. Now this is the engine for our own priesthood to the world. You see, when this gospel sinks in, we start to have the empathy for the world to take the love and grace and goodness of God to those around us. You see, this Gospel reminds us that we're all broken. We all needed salvation. None of us are righteous. That we can't look down on others and think I'm better than them, but actually we run to them and say, you need saving like I did. We don't look at the lost and the broken with arrogance and superiority. No, we look at them and go, that was once me, and in many ways it still is, and we have empathy. The gospel produces an empathy that Abraham modeled by praying for Sodom, by representing and pleading for it. It's why Jesus says we can now, as Christians, love our enemies and bless those who persecute us and serve those around us who mock and tease us because through the gospel we know that he has saved us only by grace and not by our merit. And that we all stand before the one righteous one, insufficient, except for his grace and his love. And of course, not only does the gospel drive the engine of empathy, but the gospel invites us into all the riches of Christ. So as a priest, we're not just giving what we have, but we're now in Christ. We're in his house. And therefore, when people, when we see the cry of the lost, when we hear the cry of the broken, the homeless, the abused, the trafficked, the economically deprived, uh, those who are on the wrong side of racism, we don't just have our own stuff to offer them. We have the riches of heaven because we are now in Christ. 
It's like when Peter was walking to the temple and he saw someone sick and they were asking him for money and he, he stepped into his priestly function and said, actually, I don't have, I personally don't have much to offer you. But in his priestly function, he says, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you. Now get up in the name of Jesus and walk. See, it's the gospel that brings us into this priestly function this priestly ministry that empowers you to love the lost to go out there and bring them in and it's the gospel that gives you access to god the father access to the riches of christ that we can bring them together in his name in this season i want to encourage you that god has brought and given to you and chosen you for a great priestly function that you hear the outcry of the lost, the broken, the needy, wherever it may be, it could be in your work or your neighborhood, your city, wherever it is, you hear the cry and God has opened your ears to that cry so that you can respond as his priest. So in that environment, to bring heaven to earth. Not in our own strength, but because of what he's done for us and he is with us. May we pray. So Jesus, we thank you that you are the one. You are the one. We don't deserve it. We are like Sodom and Gomorrah. We, in our own capacity, are only, only deserving of the judgment of God. We are the problem in the world. But you have come in your righteousness to cover our unrighteousness, to die the death that we deserved to live the life we couldn't and to give us the righteousness that we don't have and don't deserve. So we just say thank you. And thank you that because you've saved us, because you've rescued us, you've brought us in to now to minister this priestly function to those around us. And I just pray, wherever you are, walking or in bed or whatever you're doing, I just pray now, you say, Father, open my eyes to the cries of pain that you want me to respond to as your priest. What is it you have me to do? Not in my own strength, but I can minister the riches of Christ. But I'm on this world not for myself, but you've chosen me and blessed me to be a blessing to others. So Holy Spirit, minister to us now, speak to us now. Just felt the Lord say, you are qualified as a priest by grace. It's not a maturity thing. It's not an ordination thing. It's not a seminary thing. That God has chosen you, even if you're one day old in the kingdom of God, you are chosen to be a means of his blessing to the world around you, to minister. So Father, as we worship now, we pray that we might enjoy your presence, enjoy the riches of being in Christ, and send us out to love and serve the world. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together.